I am so excited to have the opportunity to teach this message. And, um, you, you know, I thought uh, that when the Lord gave it to me, that I was going to be, uh, when he gave me the series here, I thought that I thought I would be teaching on it for about three weeks, but I think this is actually going to go through October. So um, every single weekend, what we're going to do is talk about uh, what we believe here. It'll either be a tenet of our faith or it will be a core value that we have uh, as residents of Embassy City Church. But today with this message entitled, Here We Worship, I want you to go to the book of Psalms, chapter number five. The book of Psalms, chapter number five. I want to read you one verse uh, there, and then we'll pray and then see what the Lord would say. Is that okay? Uh, is anybody excited as I am for this? I am like, I feel like I'm about to jump out of my skin. Okay, so um, uh, Psalms, chapter number five. I'm only reading one verse. It's found in verse 7, here's what David said. Because of your unfailing love, talking to God, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. I'm going to read that again. Because of your unfailing love, I can worship, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Oh, bow your heads. Let's pray over the word, shall we? Holy Spirit, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us in this your house to worship you. Amen. I am very very aware of what God has done in my life. Gave my life to Christ on January the 14th of 1996. And since that time, there has been a now 20-year love affair that I have with the Lord. And there is nothing that I love more than to be in God's presence and worship Him. For over 20 years now, I've had the opportunity to be able to travel uh, domestically and internationally, one thing that is uh, the same across every place that I go to and get an opportunity to minister in is that I'm going to be gathered with people that want to be in God's presence and worship him. The worship style may be different. The musical arrangements may be different. The uh, exuberance of those that are in the service may be different. I've been in worship services where people literally will take laps around the building in worship. And I've been in worship services where nobody will even lift their hands. And you can still feel God's presence because he inhabits the praises <laughs> of his people. But down through the years, as I've been able to be around worship pastors, worship leaders, senior pastors, senior leaders... There's always been this discussion between uh, what praise is and what worship is. And uh, there are some working definitions. You all know I'm a wordsmith. I'm a word freak. I love the definition of words. I'm a literalist. I hate when people use words and they don't mean what the word is. So I get frustrated from time to time. 
Uh, but I want to give you some definitions uh, of some words so that you can understand the difference between praise and worship. We're going to talk about worship, but I don't think we can talk about worship properly until we define what worship is and define what praise is, okay? So nerds rule the world, take notes. Uh, uh, the first uh, definition I want to give you is for the word praise. And by definition, praise means to express approval or admiration of, to commend or extol, okay? To express approval or admiration of, to commend or extol. So when we come to church, we love the opportunity to praise God. We love the opportunity to praise the Lord. But by definition of what praise means, may I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that there's a lot of things that we can praise other than the Lord. I praise my kids when they do a good job, when they're obedient, when they go to bed and stay in bed, when they clean up their room. I praise them. I praise my wife because she's gorgeous and I love her and she's a woman of wisdom and godly character. I also praise Cheesecake Factory for making a very outstanding turkey burger. I can praise basketball players for their, for their physical prowess and their capabilities on a basketball court. There's a lot of things I can praise outside of God. And God doesn't care. He's like, oh, that's great. That person is great. That thing is great. And so you've given praise to me, amen, and you've given praise to others, amen. I don't have a problem with it. But by definition, worship cannot be treated in the same way as praise. Here's the definition of worship. To feel an adoring reverence or regard for. To feel an adoring reverence or regard for. Now, I was taught by my mom, who uh, was, has been an educator her entire life, and basically I was publicly homeschooled, if there is a such thing. <laughs> I went to public school, and I came home, and we had what was called the Learning Center. And in the Learning Center, my mom used to break open books, and whatever we were taught that day in class that was wrong, she just corrected it at Learning Center that evening. <laughs> So I was publicly homeschooled. I went away for the day and came home and got corrected at night uh, to make sure that everything was going to be in line. And so uh, one thing that I was taught is uh, you get the definition of a word. And if there's another word that jumps out to you that has meaning, you need to check that definition as well. And so when I read the definition of worship, it says to feel an adoring reverence or regard for. So I had to look up the word revere, which is the root word of reverence. And here is the uh, definition of revere. Uh, to regard with respect tinged with awe. To regard with respect tinged with awe to venerate. Now, there's no way that I can look at the word uh, worship, and then look at the word revere and ignore the word awe. Because if the definition would have just said to regard with respect, then there's a lot of people I could worship. Because there's a lot of people that I hold in high regard and respect. 
but it says to regard with respect tinged with awe. So now I have to look up the word awe. (laughs) And it's amazing that we saw in Psalms chapter number five, verse seven, that David said, I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. Here is the definition for awe. An overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, etc., produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, or the like. Uh, it just got real narrow. To highly regard, revere, and hold in awe, there's only one person I know that deserves that. That would be God. When we praise, we are celebrating the attributes. Yay, you're awesome, and God is awesome. But when we're worshiping, what we are doing is stepping back and with deepest awe, with the highest regard, knowing that you are extremely powerful, grand, and sublime, we are saying you are the only one that deserves worship, can handle worship, can properly steward worship, and the only one that can be worshiped. So when we come into his presence and we say, hey, we're entering into a time of praise and worship, the praise part is you are awesome. How amazing are you? The worship part is I reverentially fear you. I'm not scared of you. I just know how awesome you are. Again, our American language is a mutt language, and so we use stuff, and it has multiple meanings, and we say stuff, we say shoes are awesome. God, your shoes are awesome. Do they (laughs) invoke a a, a feeling of grand supremacy and and sublimeness and, no, not shoes, right? (laughs) Stop saying that. You like those shoes, they're nice, they are not awesome. Okay. If we're going to talk about worshiping God, we have to have the proper definition first. I can't tell you how many people have come into an atmosphere just like this. And during praise and worship, they don't have a context. They can't really get their mind focused on God. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. There could be uh, 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 the, the uh, uh, busyness of the day or uh, the calamity of a week. Uh, or there could be more performance happening from the platform than actual ministry. And if that distracts you, you'll never get into worship because you'll just be a spectator to the performance that you're watching. It was very, very important to us when we started this church that there was only three things that we were going to do here. I call it WWF. It's not wrestling, nor is, is it the organization that saves pandas. Neither one of those, okay? Um, WWF, worship, word, fellowship. When I think about church, I think about these are the three things we're going to do when we come together. We're going to worship the Lord. We're not just going to praise him. We're going to worship him. And we're going to hear his word. We're going to obey it. We're going to die to it. We're going to do whatever we can to make sure that we uh, uh, conform our lives to his. And we're going to fellowship. I want to know my neighbor. <laughs> I want to greet people. I want to hug people. I want, to, I want to know those that are in my community and be able to express and share my life with them. 
So there's three reasons that I want to give you as it relates to why we worship. Okay, so write that down. Three reasons why we worship God. You guys ready for these? Three reasons why we worship God. Point number one, he created us. Now, here's what I've heard a lot my whole life as it relates to worshiping the Lord. You need to worship God because we were created to worship. Anybody ever heard that? We were created to worship God. And that's actually the truth. But you can cut off that last part of that sentence. Here's the real reason you should worship God. He created you. Period. Genesis chapter number two, starting at the first verse. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. If you have King James and New King James, it will say, and man became a living person. So, so, so why, why do, should we worship God? Because he created us. When we sing a song like, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it, it would be one thing to say, hey, he created you to worship, like, like, a, like he made you like a robot and wound you up, and you're supposed to go around, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, you're worthy, you're worthy. That would be against your will, though. Worship should come from where, what you are reminded of, not what you're demanded to do. You'll never hear anybody that leaves worship saying, come on, let's get in his presence. Come on, lift those hands. Come on, you should be excited about Jesus right now. You should be. But if we have to tell you, if the whole praise and worship moment has to be constantly reminding you of something that you can't be reminded of yourself, when you wake up in the morning and realize that you can breathe in, breathe out, get up, lay back down, have strength, brush your teeth, if there's nothing that can happen in a day that can remind you why God should be worshiped, this is the last place that you should come to be convinced. Because the people that are here, anybody besides me, are already convinced that he is worthy of our worship. It's not something that should be rah-rah. It's something that should be aha. <laughs> you created me. And there's nothing that I would rather do on a random Saturday at 5 than to come into your presence with this community that you've led me to, to worship 
you. Not because you created me to, just because you created me. <laughs> I could have been a mistake. I could have been aborted. I'm, I'm talking about me now. 1973 is when abortion was made legal in the United States of America. My mother got pregnant with me in 74 and was told by her doctor, Dr. Montgomery, that, she, that I was growing in her womb incorrectly and that if I was to go to term, it would be her life. She would die if she tried to carry me to full term. And my mom, who was a godly woman, had prayed and had already seen uh, uh, through a visitation, uh, an angelic visitation uh, about my life, told the doctor, I'm going to carry him full term. The last trimester of her pregnancy with me, she couldn't stand up and walk. She was walking on all fours around the house. My dad couldn't drive more than 20 miles per hour when they got inside the car. I have a reason to worship him. I personally have a reason to worship him. I was born a breach. Not like I was breached and then they had to turn me around. I literally came out feet first. Just <laughs> came out feet first. Most babies that are born breech have an umbil umbilical cord wrapped around their neck. Their necks could break. I have a reason to worship him. <laughs> okay? I got molested when I was eight years old by a neighbor that lived across the street from me. I got into pornography when I was 12 years old. It was bondage that the enemy tried to bring into my life to keep me from being connected to God, and God freed me from all of that, I have a reason to worship him. That's a different thought than have to constantly be reminded, I was created to worship, so I guess I should worship. I was created to praise, so I guess I should praise. When you can just think about what God has done in your life and look back over your life and all the things that he has brought you through, you come in and you don't go, this is something I have to do. You come in saying, this is something I get to do. And I'm grateful to do it because you created me. That's point number one. Point number two, write this down. He deserves it. <laughs> he deserves it. Romans 12, verse number one says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul summating the first 11 chapters that he wrote uh, to uh, the believers in Rome. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly, underline this if it's not underlined in your Bible, this is truly the way to worship him. Now, again, if you have King James or New King James, it, it would say something like, it's your reasonable service. It's kind of your no-duh, no-brainer service. After all that he's done for you, uh, uh, your reasonable service would be to worship him. The way you truly worship him is everything that you are, your whole being, needs to be postured to worship the Lord. Number one, because he created you. Number two, he deserves it. Again, when you think about the proper definition of worship, who else could it be besides God? Not praise. I, I, I love the turkey burger at Cheesecake Factory. I'm not worshiping the chef. 
I can't believe you created that turkey burger. And you used dark meat to do it. You didn't use the dry turkey breast meat. Oh, God gave you such a revelation. I worship you. I adore you. You are worthy. There is none like you, chef, in all the earth. Does that even sound right? It's amazing how the enemy tries to get us off of the creator onto something that was created. You got to remember, he doesn't have anything to work with except what God already created. So if he can't get you to stop worshiping, he tries to change the focus of your worship. Forget the creator. Look at what he created. Isn't this lovely? He's the only one, ladies and gentlemen, that deserves our worship. Point number three, write this down. He's going to be worshiped. <laughs> He's going to be worshiped. Uh, Matthew chapter number four, there's something I want you to see here. Chapter number four. I'm going to read uh, just the 10th verses, uh, all that I gave for my notes, but I'm going to uh, read verse nine as well. Uh, as you know, in Matthew chapter number four, and this is also in Luke four, uh, Jesus is tempted uh, by Satan after 40 days of fasting. Uh, the, the three uh, areas that he was tempted in, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. When scripture says he was tempted in all points, yet without sin, those are your three points. See why I do points? Because the Bible kind of does points. Lust of the, lust of the flesh, uh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those are the three points of sin. All the subcategories fall underneath either lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Here's what he says in verse number nine. I want you to underline this. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And then he says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Now, I want you to underline that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, I'll give you all of these kingdoms if you will kneel down and worship me. Listen to Jesus' response. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, Jesus didn't have to come up with anything new to kick Satan out of his presence. All he had to do was quote what had already been written. It was written in Deuteronomy chapter number six, around the third verse. And here's what's hilarious. He quotes the scripture to him, a scripture that was written to the Israelites. Here's what Jesus says. Uh, that was also concerning you too. <laughs> Don't think I was just talking to the Hebrews. Uh, everyone's going to have to do what this verse says. Here's what he says. You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Here's Jesus' response. I'll, I'll act it out and give it a little uh, more flavor so you can see it. Um, I'll give you all the kingdoms if you would just kneel down and worship me right now. And he's like, but how, though? Like, how could I do that when you still have to worship him? How could I possibly do that when you still have to serve him? Now, you're thinking to yourself, well, Satan was kicked out of heaven. He used to be the worship leader in heaven. He doesn't worship God anymore. 
Yes, he does. Remember, one of the aspects of worship is fear. Satan fears God. <laughs> That's worship. <laughs> There's a reverential fear that he knows because he can't do anything without God's permission. He says, so you still have to worship him and you still have to serve him. So why would I ever give you the pleasure of kneeling when you still have to kneel? But I want you to see that uh, he wanted him to kneel. Now, let me, let me say this and, and then I'll... Uh, uh, show you in Isaiah 45. That's where we're going next. Um, here's the reason why Satan wanted Jesus to kneel. Because the only way Satan could get power is if the created bowed down to what he created. It's the only way there would be a transfer of power. And Jesus knew, carrying the authority he had from God, there's absolutely zero way. <laughs> You'll get me to kneel. This is the most pitiful thing you have ever tried in your entire existence. The moment you thought you were above God, you got kicked out. <laughs> you looked up and you were looking at a dirt guy <laughs> who had authority over you. You tricked that guy. I'm coming to redo and redeem what that guy did not do. And the only thing I can tell you is, um, no, thank you. Because you still have to kneel and you still have to serve. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter number 45, and I'm going to read something to you here that lit me up. Boy, this lit me up. Isaiah chapter number 45, starting at the 18th verse. This is God speaking, okay? For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in. This is good for somebody right here. Not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. Now, when I read this, I shared it with my wife and I said, hey, babe, uh, this, this could shut down all the little uh, people that have prophetic words that want to give them after church in the corners. That'll shut that down right there. Because when God gives a word, okay, he publicly proclaims them boldly. He doesn't whisper them, whisper obscurities, obscurities in some dark corner. I love that. Uh, I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. Gather together and come, you fugitives from surrounding nations. What fools they are to carry around their wooden idols and pray to gods that cannot save. Do you know what he's saying right here? Can you imagine how foolish it is for you to be walking around with something you created and giving worship to it? It's absolutely foolish. For the creator to look at his created, create something else, and then worship it. He says, this is absolutely foolish. Consult together. Argue your case. Get together and decide what to say. Who made these things not so long ago? This, this question blew my mind. What idol ever told you they would happen? That is a drop mic nasty question right there. I thought the questions that were asked to Job were amazing. That question right there hit the top of my list. 
What idol ever told you they would happen while you were carving them out? I'm going to be your Lord. They didn't have an eye until you gave it to them and they still can't see. They didn't have an ear until you fashioned it and they still can't hear. They didn't have legs till you built them and they still can't walk. You gave them hands. They can't reach out. It is foolish for the created to create something else and attempt to worship it. This is why pornography can't work. It's why lust can't work. It's why your job can't be idolized. It's why your diploma, your degree, your PhD cannot be idolized. Your bank account cannot be idolized. If you find your identity in anything other than God the Father, it's an idol. He says, I can't have them. Was it not I, the Lord? For there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Let all the world look for my salvation. Look to me for salvation. For I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Here it is. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will confess allegiance to me. The people will declare the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and my strength. See what the enemy tried to do? He knows this scripture was there. He knows Isaiah wrote this. Every knee will bend to me. So what is his third last ditch effort as a temptation? Hey, I'll give you these kingdoms if you'll kneel down and bow to me right now. Psych, Satan. Can't do it. Now go to uh, the book of Philippians, chapter number two. I'll read you this, and then I got to bring it home in a minute. Philippians chapter number two. This is Paul writing of God, one of the clearest examples of God through Jesus Christ, okay? Here's what it says in Philippians 2, 6. Uh, Though he was God, he did not, talking about Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of honor, of highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, there it is again, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, he's going to be worshipped. At the end of all of this, God is going to be worshipped. He created us so we should worship him. He deserves for us to worship him. But if you don't do it now, you will. Now, here's the thing. Uh, you say this to somebody that is an atheist or agnostic, and they, they, you know, they totally have a complete meltdown. I can't serve a God like yours. He kills people. He's bloodthirsty. All the, well, you you got to do all of these commands and, and all of these things. And, and, he, and, and he's going to make everybody, oh, the big God up there is going to make everybody bow down to him. Can I give you a different perspective? Um, Samsung 
having a bad month. They just came out with the Galaxy Note 7. And it was found that there is a defect in the Galaxy Note 7 that's causing all of those uh, products they manufactured to uh, get extremely hot and either explode or implode. They don't want them on planes anymore. They advise people, if you have a plane and you have a Galaxy Note 7, turn it off. Samsung issued a recall and said, we, we, need, we need all the phones back. That was backed up by uh, the advisory council of the US that head up these uh, technology divisions. And they have now put a blanket call to have all of them brought back. Now, who has the authority to make a recall? Only the manufacturer. Okay? The manufacturer said there's a defect and we need all of them to come back and admit that there's a defect that's causing all of these things to explode. They're, they're not saying bring them all back because we made something, we don't want you to have it, now, now, now bring it back to us. Here's what they're saying. We recognize that there's something wrong, and as the creator of it, we're the only one that can fix it. Now, you can try to take it to a third party, aftermarket specialist, your friend that, you know, uh, repairs cracked lenses for $25, gave you a little hookup. Uh, but if you bring it back to us, we will correct it the way it was supposed to be before the defect was even there. You see, the whole every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess has nothing to do with being demanding or being a dictator. It has to do with stewardship. There's going to be a total recall at the end of all humanity. Everyone that was created by the creator is going to have to come back. And whether they did get that defect checked or not, they are going to have to admit that Samsung is the one that created the product. Are y'all with me? When God says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, here's what he's saying. Everything that I created was already programmed to admit I created it. The enemy has got in and piled so much sin, degradation, so much debauchery, so many lies, shame, guilt, fear, hate, all these subsets of lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. The enemy's tried his best to try to smother what's written on the heart. But there's no one, past, present, or future, that at the end of all days is going to be able to come back Look me in the face and say, you didn't create me. That's what this scripture means. It's not a scary God who's going to make everybody fear him and kneel. It's a loving God that's going to have everybody come back and they'll all have to admit. <laughs> you created us. And here's, here's the reason why it's going to be so important. You'll be confessing it to someone that wasn't. 
God wasn't created. He's always been. And this is one of the conundrums that we will not be able to fully appreciate until we're back with him at home in heaven, face to face. It's going to be one of the first questions I ask. But how have you always just been here, though? I want to ask him that question. I'm sure he's going to have an answer. And if it's a long answer, I have all of eternity, so it won't matter. I'll get to the... After I talk to him, I'm going straight to Adam's house. I don't even want to say anything. I just want to look at him and be like, mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to do. That's all I'm going to do. That's what you look like. <laughs> Last thing, we're going to close. Okay. Uh, we're not going to close. We're going to go back into worship. So uh, when I get the definitions of a word, uh, I always look at the synonyms of that word. And so I looked at worship. I looked at reverence. I looked at awe. And uh, this one word came up, beautiful word that I never even saw before, never even heard it in my life. Uh, it's called genuflection. That's the word, genuflection. And here is the definition of genuflection. An act of bending the knee or touching it to the ground in reverence or worship. One of the reasons why I find myself on the floor a lot in worship is because I'm actively involved, not only singing the words, uh, if I know them, but also listening to the words. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lyricist. Uh, words are important to me, if you can tell. And uh, because I'm a literalist, it's hard for me to sing a song that, that says something like, bow down before him, for he is wonderful. I'm singing bow down before him, but I'm just standing. Bow down before him. Again, I'm a literalist. If you're not a literalist, don't, it's not to make you feel guilty. But I hear songs, and when it talks about bowing or kneeling, I hit the floor. Because I'm actively engaged in what's going on. It's just not going on. I'm like, oh, hurry up, song. Okay? Now, I told you, I've been able to travel all around the world, and I've been in uh, uh, worship services where there's nothing about the worship style that, that is my default setting, but I'm actively engaged listening to the words. And then I can get, then the music disappears for me because I'm listening. What are we singing about? Now, now I have also been in praise and worship services where I'm actively listening to the words and then I can't worship because I'm like, That's, we're not talking about God. We're talking about our last week and how we made it through and made it over and that's fine. But who brought us through? Can we talk about that guy a little bit more than we talk about our week and how the devil tried to beat us up and almost didn't make it, but I'm here. Lord, that's depressing. I don't know. I got to church. The last thing I want to hear about is my week. Can I get in his presence so I can talk about a loving God? Genuflection is the act of bending the knee, touching it to the ground in worship or reverence to God. Here? 
we worship. And you may be at a different uh, stage in your walk with the Lord where you're not yet fully engaged in worship. Here's what I love. There's a place for you here. This message is not to say, from now on, I want to see everybody when you hear the word kneel or bow. Get low. (laughs) It's not what I'm saying. And anyone that just thought about little John, (laughs) please get delivered. Just get delivered, okay? Okay. Just somebody was like, oh, Jesus. (laughs) Somebody had like a legitimate flashback besides me. So um, I'm I'm not saying that. Here's what I am saying. Whether you are exploring God and you don't, you're like, I'm still, somebody invited me and it's like my second week. Slow down, partner. I don't even feel like standing yet. You don't have to stand. We will, we will never, excuse the, the term, we will never punk you in a worship service. Do it. Come on. Stand. Clap. Shout. Come on. Ah, ah, ah. We're not going to do it. We're just not going to do it, okay? Okay? We're just not going to do that, all right? If, 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 and your posture, the, maybe the way you worship and receive is just by sitting and meditating. If you're sitting, ne- if you're sitting next to someone that's jumping up and de- whoa, 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 we will not look and go, oh, that person's really in worship, but the person sitting down is really not. Whatever your posture is, it can be worship. <laughs> now, now, I know you, you probably don't hear this a lot because people, oh, you got to stand and you got to lift your hand. I love doing all of that. But here's what I also know. There's a lot of people that go through the motions and their heart is far from him. And I'd rather you have a genuine encounter with God, worshiping him in the way that feels most comfortable to you, than for you to fall into a pattern that you think we will accept and your heart's far from it. Here, We worship. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?